KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You're listening to 89.9 KCRW. I'm Madeline Brand. Tina Fey's classic teen comedy Mean Girls turns 20 years old this year, so not a girl anymore. It is now being reimagined as a new movie musical. We're going to talk about that and more for our weekly film reviews. Joining me today, Sean Edwards, award-winning film critic for Fox TV in Kansas City and co-founder of the African American Film Critics Association. Hi, Sean. How you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and Happy New Year to Allison Wilmore, film critic for New York Magazine and Vulture. Hi, Elson. Hey there. All right, let us begin with Mean Girls, the movie adaptation of a Broadway musical version of the original film. We as women have to be able to support each other. Get in, loser. Welcome, Katie. You're never going to believe what I found this morning. Your burn book. Mom, go make snacks. For sure. For sure, Regina. Yeah. Do you like gum? Sure. Oh, no, I don't have any. I, I was just... You're a mess. We will help you, Caddy. Why are you dressed so scary? It's Halloween. Katie, if you don't dress slutty, that is slut-shaming us. That's just unprofessional. All right, this stars pop singer Renee Rapp as Regina George, the leader of the Plastics, and Allison, this was written by Tina Fey, as was the original movie. What do you think? You know, this was a pleasant surprise for me. And I say that as someone who was not necessarily feeling like the world was crying out for a Mean Girls, the musical movie. Yeah. But I went into it with an open heart. And actually, I thought it was really fun. I, I think it it is not just a kind of lazy remake. The, the screenplay that Tina Fey worked on, and of course she is in the movie as well, really feels like punched up and updated in addition to having the songs. And the, it's directed by Samantha Jane and Arturo Perez Jr., who have never directed a feature before. And they do a great job with these musical numbers. You know, I, I don't think the songs are necessarily that memorable, but they're filmed in this way where they're like these long takes with the camera doing a tracking shot. Uh, and moving through these spaces in the high school and or in people's homes. They're really dynamic and uh, I, I think a lot of fun. You've got a lot of dancers in the background, a lot of clever choreography. It just moves really well. But it is Renee Rapp who I think kind of walks away with the the movie, you know, of course, like uh, <laughs> Regina George, who doesn't want. <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of ripest part, right? right. Uh, and, and she's just so as this, you know, queen bee of the school who is terrifying, but also admired at the same time. Um, I thought it was a pleasant surprise for me. I really liked this new young cast. I really liked seeing, you know, Tina Fey and Tim Meadows again, back uh, reprising their original roles. You know, this movie, uh, they kind of hid the fact that it was a musical in a lot of the, <laughs> the marketing in a way that makes me a little worried. But uh, it's it's a pretty fun musical. I think it's it's... It embraces the music aspect fully. Okay. So, all right. Sounds like a, a fairly positive review. Sean, I'm getting Barbie vibes here with the music and the uh, sprinkling of pink in the trailer. No, 100%. And yeah, it's odd that they're hiding the fact that the movie is a musical because the strongest point of the movie are the musical numbers. I mean, no, the songs aren't memorable, but the songs work. They're, they're, they're actually, they're, they're pretty good. They're, they're solid in the dance numbers. They add all the energy to the film is when you start to string together the story and the plot where everything falls apart. But the musical numbers are are, are superb. I will admit, I'm not the hugest Tina Fey fan. I don't think what? she's that funny. 
No, like in general not. or just, in this movie? Look, she what she did with 30 Rock was genius. Everything else she's done, yeah, it also sort of feels forced. You. And like the thing that I really hate that she does is the way she dumbs down the adult characters, like all the teachers and the administrators, it, it just does not work. The music and the dance numbers are fine. Did we need this? No. But I think people will be pleasantly surprised. And Renee Rapp steals every scene she's in. It's it's almost unfair. So Mean Girls, Dumb Adults, maybe that's what it should be called. <laughs> mean Girls in wide release today. Okay, next up we have another action film where Jason Statham seeks vengeance. This one is called The Beekeeper. I just got a message saying that there's a problem with my computer. Yes, ma'am, we got this. Yesterday she shot herself. This is private property. Do you know what they do here? Scamming the weakest in our society. Buddy, I'm counting to three. One, two, three. All right, Sean. Sounds like someone disturbed the wrong hive. Is Jason Statham actually a beekeeper, like for real, keeping bees? Yes, he is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes, because, you know, Hollywood has made retirement seem so glamorous. So he's a retired <laughs> sort of it man fixer who's found a new hobby and it's keeping bees. But, you know, whenever you see a character like Jason Statham in retirement, he's only going to stay in retirement for about 4.5 minutes. Right. Because he's this guy who's part of this elite force called the beekeepers. And of course, they can do all, they can kill all, they can do all the miraculous stunts you ever imagined you could see. And he's, he's pulled back out of retirement because a close friend has been scammed by this elite team of scam artists who have stolen all of her money electronically. I mean, it, it, it's, it's all silly. It, none of it makes sense. It's almost like the filmmakers were involved in a poker game and they lost the bet to prove that they could actually turn this dumb idea into an entire feature film. <laughs> I actually <laughs> like the premise of this film about like these corrupt scammers taking advantage of elderly people and instilling their money on high levels. And there's this guy who's going to try to bring this down. But the shame of this movie is it has a stellar cast. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jeremy Irons, Felicia Rashad, Allen, even Josh Hutcherson. I mean, <laughs> these, these, are, these are prominent thespians in this movie that have little nothing to do but to walk at Jason Statham, do his thing that we've seen him do 1,001 times. Yeah. And collect a paycheck. So, Allison, uh, I'm getting also from watching the trailer uh, just a, a little, you know, I don't want to repeat the vibes word, but seriously feeling a little January 6th-ish because he seems to be wreaking vengeance on government officials and the FBI is figured prominently in this. And it just was a little creepy. Yeah, you know, there is this undercurrent, um, especially, I, I mean, this may not come as a surprise to you, but, uh, you know, this this movie does not end just with him taking out a fishing group. It, yeah. You know, this it goes up to the fishing. top. Yeah. Yes, fishing. It goes up to the top. Uh, it actually involves uh, the president at a certain point. So those, you're not wrong in sensing those vibes, though I do feel like this movie is so incoherent in terms of its mission and its politics that I think you can equally argue it has a kind of don't tread on me January 6th thing going on or that it's anti-Trump. 
um, you know, based on certain details about who the president is and and how, in this case, she got elected. Mm. So it's so silly. It's so silly on a level that I thought was was kind of um, just enough for me in January where the stakes are very low. Um, <laughs> I've had the most fun explaining what this movie is about to other people after seeing it, just because it's, it's just the elements involved are so disparate and so strange. The very idea of the beekeepers as a secret agency dedicated to protecting society leading to Jason Satham muttering continually about needing to protect the hive while you know beating up rooms full of people <laughs> it's just there's something about that that's kind of satisfying you know uh so so he's like a mean it, girl it, himself he's very mean he he doesn't really break a smile at all in this movie he's just full scowl all the way you know if you see him coming you see if you see regina george coming you've got to get out of the way for both of them (laughs) okay the beekeeper in wide release beginning today next up a chilean film called the settlers it takes place in the 1890s in which three men are sent by a wealthy landowner on a mission to establish a trade route through remote southern Chile. Them Indians, you have no idea how much they dislike outsiders roaming their lands. These are their lungs. Ooh, okay, so Allison, this seems like a straight-up western of yore, is it? I think it's fair to call it a revisionist Western. It's it's very much about just essentially like the genocide of one of the the indigenous groups that was living down there at the time. So it it is a Western in that you have these three men, uh, one of whom is uh, a kind of mixed race Chilean man who's enlisted alongside uh, a Scottish mercenary and a kind of American cowboy to do a job that the Chilean man soon realizes is basically just to exterminate all of these native people in the area on behalf of this wealthy landowner. It's it's a really gorgeous film in a lot of ways because the setting is just so striking. You know, you're you're at as they they kind of off the characters often say the ends of the earth and you're in these like enormous like uh almost alien looking vistas um but it's also obviously an incredibly upsetting film. Uh, you know, it's it's about just the slaughter of people. It is about assaults. It is about, it is very blunt mm. in its themes. Um, sometimes I think too blunt. Um, you know, there it, it basically kind of states its thesis out loud that this is about taking uh, aim at the kind of mythology, the national mythology of Chile. And uh, it's very much saying like, look, this is this was founded on acts of genocide uh, that were then kind of downplayed. So strong stuff. And I think not always successful for me, but I really appreciated, I mean, just the history that it puts on screen and also just the visuals of it. Mm-hmm. For that alone, I would say it's worth seeking out. Beautiful shots of Southern Chile. Sean, this is the director Felipe Galvez Aberle's feature film debut. What did you think? Well, for a feature film debut, it's it's awfully strong. Um, and it's, it's actually Chile's official international feature selection for the Oscars. Mm. But the thing about the film is it's actually brilliantly unsettling. It's brutally realistic. At times, my stomach was churning, but I still wanted to go along on the journey. It, it kind of felt like the Lewis and Clark story meets Boys in the Hood. I mean, these are nasty people doing very nasty things, but cinematically, it's so beautiful, it actually does take your breath away. But the thing that really sort of jolted me is 
the last third of the film takes this abrupt turn and it nearly like jump forwards like 10 years and it sort of like addresses the mean and corrupt stuff you've seen with a narrative that sort of like indicts the horrific actions you just watch, but actually the film itself. And I don't think I've quite ever seen a film that's used that mechanism to do that. And it, it kind of really made me kind of like stop and think. And it's like, well, what did I just see here? It was almost like a, a brilliant technique that actually made the first two thirds of the film actually more effective. Interesting. Okay, The Settlers in Select Theaters beginning tomorrow, Friday. Finally, this week, we have an adventure comedy starring Lakeith Stanfield. It's called The Book of Clarence. It's set in Jerusalem during the rise of Jesus. What are you trying to prove? And I'm not a nobody. You find faith, and you will find all the access. When you see me, say hallelujah. Clarence, you are guilty of the crime fraud for your own ill-gotten gains. If you give me Jesus of Nazareth, I will let you walk free. And I will give you power, wealth. You'll be somebody. Stanfield's character Clarence is a hustler. He's hoping to capitalize on Jesus's fame and also find some fame and money for himself. Sean, what did you think? Yeah, he's an influencer. This is a <laughs> biblical story with a stoner vibe about a modern-day influencer. Like that's exactly what Love it is. It. But Lakeith Stanfield can do no wrong. He actually plays two characters because he's a twin in the movie. But the main character is Clarence, and the film is directed by James Samuel. And as a director, I really love what he does with film. I mean, he's he's slowly or quickly becoming a director that has a, a very distinct style, much like Quentin Tarantino, much like Spike Lee, much like Wes Anderson. As soon as you watch a couple of seconds of one of his movies, you know, it's him that's directing this film because he takes a lot of like creative chances with this film. And I love directors who take big swings and no, he, he does not always hit the mark, but, but it's, it, it's always interesting. It's always interesting watching Clarence on this journey and how he wants to become the 13th apostle. All the vibes are contemporary, but it's, it's set you know, way, way, you know, back in the day. And at the very least it's highly artistic and, you know, at, at worst, hey, you've seen worse in this genre, but I like the fact that, you know, he's trying to inject some new energy into it. All right. Allison, do you find that the humor works in the Book of Clarence? Yeah, I mean, I love the humor. It does kind of fall away towards the end. I, I think it's it should be stated that this movie is a comedy, but it's also very earnest. And the last act is actually pretty straightforward and at sometimes like gets fairly dark in terms of what happens. Um, I think like Sean, I, I really salute the big swing that this represents. Uh, James Samuel is like this really vital, energetic, stylish director. I love the little touches. I loved the floating in air, you know, uh, like Stanfield's character, Clarence is a, a dealer of Lincoln weed. <laughs> and, and when, <laughs> When they when uh, they smoke Lincoln weed, it's represented. Their highs are literal. They literally float in the air, and I loved that. But uh, you know, there are not many movies that have reminded me at different times of Ben Hur, Friday, and uh, the Life of Brian, the Monty Python film. <laughs> so it really covers a lot of ground. It really is a kind of singular experience. There are very few directors who just really just seem so in love with letting their kind of actors shine and just be these kind of charismatic 
great larger than life uh, figures on screen. And I appreciate that as well. So, you know, I, 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 I would rather see something that doesn't re entirely work, but that takes a big chance like this than uh, something that, that doesn't try that hard, but does fine. The beekeeper, i.e. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Okay. The book of Clarence in wide release beginning today. And that does it for this week. Sean Edwards, film critic at Fox 4 News and co-founder of the African-American Film Critics Association and Allison Wilmore, film critic for New York Magazine and Vulture. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you so much. KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.